What's up, everybody? This is Word of a Rebel. In the previous episode, we spoke about the need for police reform and what it really looks like to, to defund or abolish the police force. And that it's not getting rid of police entirely, but that it's simply um, changing the scope of a police officer's job and divvying up some of those calls that they would receive to other um, divisions and other entities. So if you want to check that out, be sure to check out the previous episode on my podcast at Word of a Rebel. Uh, But today's episode, I'm going to go back to another chapter of my mixed experience. And before I begin this conversation, uh, this is also going to be available on medium.com. And I need to let you know, this is not about trying to have pity for myself or other people. I'm telling this story because I'm trying to educate people on how racism gets taught, how it is perpetuated, not simply how it is experienced because we're trying to get to the root of it because there's a lot of people out there who will say things like they're not racist or they don't think that racism exists or they don't see it, it, you know, clearly. Well, I'm going to show you the racism. I'm going to show it to you. And you might see something in your own past experience about a way that you were taught racism Um, because you need to understand the full scope of it. Racism is not just violence against black and brown people. Whenever we talk about systemic racism, I think that that term, when it's thrown out there, it becomes a blanket that covers up the totality of what racism is. When we talk about systemic racism, what we're talking about is the very subtle ways that racism and difference and, and division is taught within the community at a family level, at an institution level, we're talking about like churches and schools and things like that. Um, and so we really need to understand it. I'm calling the series uh, another chapter in my missed experience because I'm trying to show you what racism looks like, where it comes from, how it originates, because I want people who don't see their racism to understand it. This go, this, I want to give you a highlight and example. The woman there was a white woman in City Park who called police on a black man, right? Uh, the black man told her to put her dog on a leash because um, his the dog was obviously jumping up and down and uh, bothering people. Um, and there is, a, there is a rule in City Park that if a dog is there, it is supposed to be leashed. She was not in the dog park section. She was just in the public section. And this man was trying to uh, walk and photograph birds and you know enjoying the the outdoors and this white woman got so upset with him that he told her to put a leash on her dog that she called 911 and she went from saying you know this this black man is bothering me to saying that this black man is threatening me and then her voice became hysterical when she realized the 911 operator wasn't giving her the attention that she wanted she wanted the police dispatched out there she wanted to scare this black man away who very simply, very calmly told her to put a leash on her dog. So that's the kind of thing. It's like, well, where did that come from? She made a point of saying that she was going to call 911 on this man. She went through and said that he was went from saying he's bothering me to he's threatening me to hysteria in her voice. Where did that come from? She's a liberal woman. She does not consider herself to be racist, but she went into that space. Where does that come from? That's the reason why I'm putting together the the stories from um, my mixed experience, because it highlights some of that. Now, at the end of the previous episode, I mentioned that one of my aunts uh, once told me that um, that it was acceptable for me to date black men because I was mixed. So I could date whoever I wanted, but that her white daughter, her 
her entirely white daughter was not permitted to, to date whom, whomever she wanted because she was white and that she didn't want her white daughter um, socializing with another one of my white cousins because that cousin dated um, regardless of melanin and she was in a relationship with a black man at the time who she later married um, she literally said that that's why she would keep her daughter away from this other cousin of ours and then saying that to me saying well it's acceptable for you to date whoever you want because you're mixed she didn't realize that what she was saying was that my parents relationship was a bad thing that's what she was saying right and in that moment she didn't feel that she was racist the end of the previous episode I also mentioned that another white woman in a conversation with me said that she she told her black boyfriend at the time now husband that he was different from most black people and she went on to say that in her mind most black people are aggressive and loud and um, that, they, that they they rely on public assistance and you know um, they're annoying and blah 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 she's going on and on and on and on and she's saying that she had to convince her black partner that he was different and when I pointed it out to her how absurd that was, I'm like, so you as a white woman are telling your black boyfriend, now husband, um, trying to convince him that he's different, but you don't think you're racist. Because at the end of the day, what, there's a lot of people, I've heard this so many times. I'm pointing out this example because I've heard the same discussion so many times. Gabrielle Union in her book also mentioned this, that... Uh, being a black woman in a predominantly white school, she ended up experiencing the same conversation as well because her white classmates stopped seeing her blackness because she became so familiar to them. And so they would have these discussions with her as well. There's lots of black people who have existed in predominantly white spaces who've also been told the same thing. You're different, right? Um, this also reminds me of a, of a moment in recent history where whenever... Um, Whenever the Trump administration started to crack down um, strongly on uh, immigration and they started to deport people, there was a story of a rural town in which um, a man was returned either to Mexico or Honduras, I forget which one. When they interviewed his white coworkers and his white friends in the town, they said they, they supported the immigration law that you know preceded his departure, uh, but that they didn't understand why he was taken because he wasn't a criminal and he was a good guy because in their mind see they understood him to be a good person because he was familiar to them that's the experience in the white community the white community does whenever they become familiar with a particular black or brown person those that have bigoted mindsets because i'm not going to say all white people those with the bigoted mindsets even the ones who don't recognize they have bigoted mindsets they see their um, black or brown person in their social circle as being different, as being an outlier, right? They don't see them as being an, an example of the group. They see them as an outlier. Even though this is someone they have direct contact and communication with, they still don't see them as being an example of the group. When somebody does something negative within a black or brown community, though, these people with this bigoted mindset say that that's an example of the group as a whole. This is a reality. This is perpetuated generation after generation. You know, if you have a black man or a black woman who does something criminal or something strange or out of the ordinary, like whatever, offensive, um, bigoted white people will say, oh my God, why are they like that? That's exactly what I've heard time and time and time again. And we know this to be true. 
See, whenever a white person does something either offensive or aggressive or illegal, whatever, they're not seen as an indicator of the entire group, right? In recent news, we've had a few stories about parents killing children, right? Um, most recently, there were the, uh, I think the last name is Vallo or something like that. I know it started with a V. It was like V-A-L-L-O and then some kind of letter. Um, the, the children in this case had been killed like two years ago and the mother had already been arrested. Now, her husband had been killed supposedly by her brother, but now police are saying they don't know if the brother was at fault. They think that it might've been hit the woman. Um, the person that she married after her husband's death, his wife was also killed. And now the two children have been killed, right? Now in the story, this is grotesque. You have a white man and a white woman who have very likely killed their ex, their spouses, got married, and then killed the woman's two children from her previous marriage of the dead husband. And yet, whenever the story comes up, you know, in the white community, do you say, oh, you know, as white people, there's something wrong with you? You don't say that. You say that there's something wrong with that couple. They're crazy. But the same is not given to black and brown people. So whenever somebody comes up and says, like what Trump did, that, you know, Mexicans are rapists and murderers, do you recognize that that's a lie? There's rapists and murderers within the white community as well. Are there not? Because I know some of the people listening to this today were victims of sexual trauma, or you know someone that is a victim of sexual trauma from a white person. See, this is not, a, the, the, the criminality is not tied to skin tone, it's not tied to ethnicity or heritage. It's not tied to any of that. Criminality is something that occurs within any group regardless but what you don't recognize is that whenever if you're if you're bigoted minded without recognizing it you see your black and brown contacts as being different as being outliers well if you've ever heard yourself say well you're not like the others or if you ever thought it to yourself you're not like the others that is bigotry that is racism that is part of the problem okay so I'm highlighting this because these are conversations that took place um, in my middle school and high school years. And so the first article that was posted on Medium was only about my elementary school years. And so these are, I want to separate the experience. Because by the time I got into my middle school and high school years, I started to be more vocal about my experience to people around me. Not so much to my mother because in elementary school I had, I had discovered very quickly, very early on, she did not want to have these conversations at all. And I was, and I came to a place of acceptance and let it go. I just didn't talk with her about these things anymore because she was not agreeing to be my support system in that way. So, um, whenever we, um, move into middle school and high school years, this part of the story, I'm also going to write it up. It's not written as I'm reporting this. Um, you know, I had more friends who knew my story at this point. Um, this is when I started to have a friendship circle that was more supportive but I was still seeing and experiencing racism within the community around us. Um, and sometimes within the school, but more so within the community around us. There was still division within, within the social circles. Uh, while we all got along, and everybody keeps talking about that we got along, we still didn't really socialize heavily on a daily basis as far as like, there was always, there was always that separation and division. And we have to admit that um, 
the parents didn't necessarily want you spending time with someone of a different skin tone. We have to be honest about that. It's okay to be honest about that. You're not saying that your parents are bad people. Like I'm not even saying that my mother's a bad person. I'm saying that my mother has bad tendencies and bad habits when it comes to black and brown skin to this day. Don't get it twisted because I've had conversations with her recently and I know people are gonna say, well, why are you putting this out there? There has to be accountability, y'all. Y'all, we got to put this out there. My, my mother um, was talking very, very negatively about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the representative from New York. And when she was speaking very negatively about her, she spoke about a moment where there's a video where um, Alexandria says, um, it's a late night video, you can tell, she's kind of like looking like she's sleepy and she's speaking about something about policy. And she mixes up the words chambers and branches. She meant to say branches of government but she twisted up the chambers of com Congress with branches of government. And so she accidentally said the wrong word and she said the chambers of government. And so um, the conservative community jumped on that as an opportunity to call her uneducated, uninformed, um, and basically saying that she, um, she doesn't deserve to be a leader within government because they claim that she doesn't know anything about um, the United States institutions completely disregarding that the current president does not have any understanding about his position within government. He doesn't understand how the presidency works. He doesn't understand the limitations of his powers. He has no idea how to do his job. Um, but Ocasio-Cortez was being drugged for this accident slip of the word. And when I pointed it out to my mother, and this, this kind of conversation happens on a regular basis with, within people who have this, this, this bigotry issue, um, they see brown skin, they automatically see negativity. And I pointed out to her that uh, AOC is highly educated. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, um, do you realize that the, um, the Medicare and Medicaid and health insurance access that you have now is something that Ocasio-Cortez supports? Do you recognize that first and foremost? Now, secondly, do you recognize that the Republicans that you are so heavily in support of do not want to see you um, having access to this health care. And neither, you know, um, the person that I call dad, who's not my biological father, that he also, uh, but he's my dad. And, I'm, and we can discuss that at a later time, but those who know understand when you call someone dad, they're present and accounted for in your life. That's dad. Um, so do you recognize that um, the health care that he also needed was being restricted by conservatives that they didn't want they didn't want him to have Medicare they were trying to limit his access to health care AOC supports access to health care she also supports having a living wage also and I had to point this out to my mother my mother was um, fired from a job in which um, chances are she should not have been fired it was an unethical loss of a job and then um, the job was then given to someone uh, in the family that owned the business, right? So she had worked at this company for like 15 years and now she's being outed and her job is being passed on to someone else. So I'm saying all of that to say this, um, I'm pointing all this out to her and I'm like, okay, so you think that that's unethical. You believe that she should have had a better wage, all of this. Well, these are things that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez supports, but you're so opposed to her as a brown woman. And 
you know, she had also pointed out that, you know, her Puerto Rican connection um, makes her not suitable. And I'm like, interesting. I'm like, so whenever somebody tells me that because I'm mixed, that, you know, um, they lash out at me and, you know, have all these other negative um, thoughts about me and comments and judgments, um, do you realize that once again, my mother was choosing to support that? Um, so guys, I'm sorry, I'm still on the road, so I'm, I'm actually just looking at my GPS while I'm in a parking lot, trying to make sure I plot out my trajectory. Um, so yeah, so the situation with this is just recognizing that that bigotry exists in many, many different ways. And that's why I'm sharing each of these individual stories. Now, this is, I was connecting how the bigotry shows up in people like when I was a teen, as well as showing up now. So I want to point out another story that's going to be in the article as well. Um, and I might provide more detail in the article, but a lot of people don't realize that one of, one of the issues I had with the Christian church is from the experience that I'm about to tell you right now, which is that, um, the, that racism, the government used, um, the government used and leaders used uh, the church as a way of furthering racism in a lot of cases. And so the reason that I'm pointing this out is um, how, how in deeply entrenched this has been. So basically, um, the church that, that I was brought to is obviously going to be a, an all-white church. Uh, churches, as people say, Sundays, Sundays are the most segregated, segregated day in the United States, right? So this is an all-white church, and um, at this time period, like I like I told you in several, like in the articles as well as in my podcast, my mother was very um, adamant about trying to isolate me from my melanin, trying to isolate me from my father's heritage, uh, trying her hardest to reform me in a way. That's not what she said, but that's the way that it felt, right? Um, so we're in we're in this white church and. Um, once again, it had become obvious to her that I was not going to denounce my father's side of the family, that I was not going to abandon my melanin. I'm a brown person. I am mixed. You know, I'm not going to hide from that, even though she wanted me to very, very desperately. So she has, I forget exactly how old I was. I think I might've been 13 at the time. I don't know, I was 12 or 13. Um, she has the pastor's wife sit down with me and talk to me about um, a couple of examples from the Bible in which she said proved that, um, you know, that I should date white boys. So she says, well, you have to recognize that you're not equally yoked. She used that one, y'all. When I tell y'all, look, um, equally yoked, honey, what that actually means is that you're equally pulling on the load and the burden of the relationship and the household. That you're equally putting in the work that's going to lead to the improvement of that household. That's what equally yoked means. People have said that it means um, having the same um, religious beliefs and whatnot, right? And that's not what it's about. It's not about religious beliefs uh, only. I mean, it might have something to do with that too. Um, but it, when you read the actual section, you realize it's like, oh, we have to have... Um, common beliefs 
and a, a shared responsibility for this household. Um, so that's what she was trying to say that, oh, well, if you're different, if you're, um, you know, the different skin colors don't, are not, um, equal. So I told her, well, I'm like, well, I'm not white though. I'm brown. So are you telling me I'm not equal to you? She didn't know what to say to that. Then she went into the Hamitic myth. Now, I don't know how many people know about the Hamitic myth now, um, but the Hamitic myth was something that was used by the church to teach that uh, the different ethnic groups were um, were differently assigned roles by God. That's literally how they teach it. And so in this teaching, what they say is uh, that Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, right? Um, and the teaching is that, um, that him had, uh, disrespected Noah, but Noah was drunk and him made fun of him in his neck, in his nudity, nakedness, and that Shem and Japheth came into the room and covered Noah and they were angry with him for making fun of their dad. Um, in, in the telling of the story, you can look in the Bible, Noah, uh, is angry and yells at him um, once he kind of recovers from his drunken state and he yells at him and, say, and says I curse you you're going to like always be the servant you and your descendants will be the servants of your brothers and your brother's descendants um, and then that's the end of the story nowhere in there is God mentioned like God did not say this it's, not, it's never indicated that God had anything to do with it basically it's a drunk father who one of his sons inappropriately made jokes at his expense the other two sons stepped in and when he sobers up he then gets mad at his you know his son uh yells at him and makes this statement the church took that and said that it wasn't noah but that in fact god had decided that um ham's descendants would be the servants for um japheth and shem and then the pastor's wife goes on to tell me that uh, shem's descendants would be the intellectuals of the people and that um, Jewish people descended from Shem, that Hem's descendants supposedly were African and that Japheth's descendants were Europeans and that Japheth's descendants would be the leaders, that Shem's descendants would be the, um, the thinkers and that Ham's descendants would be the workers. She literally laid all of that out. And that's kind of like the core of like what the Hamitic myth was um, shaped like. There were slight variations to it, but that was like the core of it. So I flat out looked at her and said, so you're telling me that um, this, you know, according to the teachings of this church and some others, um, Ham, Shem, and Japheth were the only three um, men who would give the descendants of the entire world. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling me African, European, and Jewish. What about everybody else? Where do they come from? And I asked her that and she had no answer for me. She wasn't prepared to be challenged. She was she was thinking, well, you're gonna you're gonna buy this dogma and you're gonna eat it and you're gonna drink it down with, with the communion wine and you're just gonna shut up, right? But no, because it's stupid. And me being mixed, I'm like, okay, so what exactly are you telling me? I'm like, are are you suggesting what exactly? So I, I'm descending from two different groups, so you're telling me, oh, well, go ahead and take the Japheth side of you and, like, run with it. 
and I'm just looking at her like she's crazy because I'm like, once again, all of this, and this, all of this is just showing you exactly how racism is taught. Now, um, most white children might not have had that experience. Um, as a as a mixed child, I had this experience because of being mixed because I was being told that half of me was deficient and the other half of me was a leader, right? Um, and so I should abandon my deficient side. You know, surely I should understand that, according to her. Um, this this attempt to reform me, in essence, kept on, guys. Like, the church, the pastor, also taught the Hamitic myth on the pulpit. Um, and I knew what he was trying to do. I knew that my parents had had a conversation with him. Um, and so, you know, this... This just this is just one example, but it was like it was a, it was over a prolonged period. So this is where racism comes from. Okay, it comes from how it's taught. I would love to hear from uh, some of the people in the white community about this. Um, has anyone ever heard of the Hamitic myth being taught in their church? I know not all of the churches teach it because a lot of the churches over time started to abandon it because it was obviously a racist teaching and it goes against a lot of what else is in the bible and it's actually it's one of the many stories that had been misconstrued um politically and i want people to understand that like christianity in and of itself is not um racist uh the issue with is that the governments are racist the, historically speaking a lot of these governments uh, have been racist and they put pressure on the, the religious leaders to control the populace by implementing um, racist teachings into the Bible and by trying to say it's not a negative thing that it's it's God ordained right and that's how they you know that the Hamitic myth actually started during the transatlantic slave trade because during the slave trade people within the church started to ask questions they started saying well were enslaved and they were freed and God obviously had a problem with slavery and how can this be okay and the Europeans were upset about it not all of them but there was a growing number and so the um the kings and queens um and other leadership within Europe realized we got to do something so this is how the Hamitic myth started they they asked the priest and other religious leaders to come up with a story that would appease the European mindset. The Hamitic myth was created and then started to be taught within the church community. I don't know when it actually stopped um, on a large scale. It obviously didn't stop on a small scale because, you know, the 1990s, I was still being pushed, this was still being pushed on me by someone who wholeheartedly believed it to be true. She completely believed it. So did the pastor. I don't know how many within the church community believed it. I never really asked each individual person, but nobody challenged it. Everybody just let it happen. So that was another experience where I was once again being assaulted um, on a spiritual level now. Um, and this is the reason why there was a great anger in me for a long time because my mother still wasn't trying to be supportive of me she still wasn't trying to say um that I was amazing as I am that who I am I have a right to be who I am that nobody should challenge who I am nobody should try to make me feel bad about who I am she didn't do that 
And that's what I needed in that moment. And my experience, I don't want pity. Don't, don't send me messages, oh, I'm so sorry. Don't do that. Comment on how racism is taught. If you're listening to this and you're going to comment, comment on how racism is taught because that is the message of this. Not about you know the sadness of my experience, but rather this is about how racism is taught and perpetuated. That's what I'm trying to highlight because this is the reason why we need the police reform. This is the reason why we need the 911 reform because we can't wait for people's mindsets to be changed. I don't know when that's going to happen. As I mentioned, this stuff happened in the 90s. People act like this stuff stopped in the 60s. No, honey, we're in 2020 and this shit is still being perpetuated. And it's racism is not always aggressive and violent in the form of physical injury. A lot of the time, it's like these stories that I'm sharing with you. That's why I call this another chapter of my mixed experience. Because every person who has experienced racism has a different view of it. And as a mixed person, this is the view that I have of it. Because I was being taught to abandon my melanin. I was being taught to see it as deficiency. And that's the viewpoint that I'm able to have from the mixed side of things. You know, because um, my white and black peers may or may not have ever experienced this because they weren't put into that position. So this is why more people need to share their stories. So if you're someone, you know, uh, from the black community, you know, I would hope that some people in the black community continue to share those stories because you need to understand how, how a black person experiences racism. You know, somebody from the Latino community needs to have that that opportunity to speak on it. This is what it looks like in this area, you know? And also within the Latino community, having to explain that racism exists within the Latino community. Like these stories need to be told because you have to understand and recognize and I want, I want people who are taught this to understand it, find it within yourself. There was a woman who came on a post recently when we're talking about George Floyd. And when she came on the post, her comments started with, a uh, good point, he shouldn't have been killed, but have you seen his rap sheet? Now, apparently, I think George Floyd, like in his early 20s, um, had committed some like really like, you know, um, lower level crime or whatever else. And, uh, but he was in his 30s now. He was a good father. He was a community um, member who was being supportive, um, mentoring youth, sharing positive messages. So, his rap sheet had nothing to do with his murder. Um, the police officers who had him pinned on the ground didn't know anything about his past. In fact, once again, the police should have not been called out to that because he had a $20 bill that he was using at a store and it appeared to be fake. Now, here's the thing you have to understand. There are fake bills out there in existence. They go to the banks and they exchange hands between stores. Now, if somebody else paid with a $20 bill and it didn't go to a bank and get identified, if it's just sitting at a business and you get it back as change, or maybe you cash a check at a local institution and you get that money back, you don't know where that, that fake money originated. Why would police officers get called out in that moment? So once again, that's the reason for police reform because they shouldn't have been involved at all. That was not in a situation where George Floyd would have been at fault, okay? So, um, but the, going back to the woman's comment, because this is current day, uh, this woman is probably in her sixties and she brought up his rap sheet 
Now, everybody came onto her comment and said, why are you worried about his rap sheet? Do you not understand how racist that is? And she kept saying, well, I'm not a racist. I'm just bringing up this for conversation. And like, you know, um, and she went on about, you know, once again, like, well, the looting, you guys have to talk about the looting. So when I came on, this conversation had been going on for a while where other people were telling her that she was wrong for it. And so I, I pointed out to her, I said, look, I'm going to talk about your statement where you said you're not a racist. The change that you want to see in this world has to start inside of yourself because you do have bigoted tendencies that you are personally not aware of. And that's where you, that's where you as the person with these bigoted, bigoted ideas, this is how you can affect change. You have to admit, number one, that you have been miseducated from childhood into adulthood with these wrong impressions of black and brown people. Number two, after you admit that you have been miseducated, you have to ask yourself questions. You have to ask yourself, why did you focus on his rap sheet from his early 20s more than his murder? Why are you focusing more on the looting that occurred than you are on the reason why the protests began in the first place? Why are you worried about the output? Something that I didn't mention to her um, because I wanted to make her focus on just those questions is this reminds me of a, you know the experience of a child, right? Let's imagine you have two children um, in the backseat of a car. One of the children is bothering the other child, right? The other child is calmly reading a book relaxing minding their own business and the other child starts to bother them they start poking them in the face they start bumping up against them they put their sweaty hands on them and the the child who was reading looks up to the adults and says please make him stop he's bothering me make him stop please make him stop he's bothering me and the whole time the child is being calm and quiet and just peacefully asking for assistance from those who have the ability to give it. And then the adults say, just ignore him. Uh, what? Okay, so the child goes back to, okay, I'm just gonna ignore him, maybe he'll leave me alone. I'll act like he doesn't exist. But the child continues to bump into you, poke you in the face, wipe sweaty hands all over you. Now you're angry, so you get a little bit louder. Please make him stop. He's annoying me. He's bothering me. And then the adult turns around and fusses at the child who's complaining. And the other child. Both of you guys just sit down. Leave me alone. Okay? But the, the abuse and the harassment is still happening in that back seat. So what occurs next is the child who initially was peacefully reading and minding their own business punches the hell out of the other child. Now the child who was bothering in the first place is crying. Oh, I got hit in the face. I can't believe this happened. Mama, help me. And then the parent turns around, scolds the child who punched him. Why would you do that? What's wrong with you? And so the child who was initially peacefully reading their book was being bothered. And now they're the ones being blamed for the whole situation. 
Now, that's an exact example of what this woman was doing and what other people have been doing who were complaining about the looting. People who were complaining about the person who was oppressed and killed and complaining about the people who are protesting and rioting and looting because you didn't pay attention when we were peaceful. What did you think was going to happen? That's the question for people who don't understand it. You need to be aware of it. Racism is continually taught in both subtle and overt ways. Racism is perpetuated, not simply in aggressive and violent ways, but every day in very subtle, systemic ways. In the ways that social groups are divided, in the ways that a white family is not comfortable with a black child coming into their home, in the ways that difference is communicated, in the ways that people are talking about black and brown people as being not only um, you know, oppressed, but calling them disadvantaged. See, the language has to change. Whenever you say shit like, you come from a disadvantaged or an at-risk community, I know y'all have heard these terms. This is something that's not putting the blame where it belongs on oppressors. Number one, 80%, once again, 80% of African Americans are actually um, not in poverty, okay, number one. Um, but oppression is felt all the same. So let's point this out. Number one, don't say disadvantaged. See, disadvantaged is like saying disabled. Now, if a person has a disability of some sort, whether it be maybe they can't walk, right? And nobody hurt them, nobody beat them. Okay, they have a disability, they are disabled, right? And people don't like the term disabled because it's like a label, okay? Very much the same as disadvantaged. However, disadvantaged makes it sound like a disability. So instead of calling a group of people disadvantaged, we need to call the group of people out who are racist. So don't say this is a disadvantaged people. Let's focus where the focus needs to be placed. Racist systems need to be changed. This system is aggressive and brutal. The system needs to be changed. The system believes that black and brown people are violent and criminal and treats them that way. Do not put the fault on the person or the group that is oppressed. Policy needs to be changed. The policy of immigration has for many years opposed black and brown people heavily. This needs to be changed. When I, you know, throughout this episode, I've just been highlighting examples of racism being overtly taught or subtly taught. Call out the racism where it exists. When someone says something like, um, that particular black or brown person is different from the others, that's racism. When somebody says, oh, you're so articulate or educated for a black person, or you're so pretty for a dark-skinned girl, um, or you're so not like the others, that's racism. It comes from a place of racism. When somebody makes a joke about how another cultural community um, does things within their own community and they laugh about it, these are jokes that I've also been privy to and having to sit through and then my anger being chastised. Um, well, that's how they do it, isn't it? You know, and then I have a problem with it and then something's wrong with me. Um, whenever you see these things, 
That's racism. Flat out, it's racism. Okay? So, that's what the message of this episode is today. Is highlighting how deeply entrenched racism is and showing everyone why we need to have policy reform and we need to drastically overhaul law enforcement. So when a black or brown person says this is an example of racism or bigotry or systemic racism or racist policy, this is not playing the race card. It's shining a light on something that other people were not paying attention to. And that is why we're going to talk about it. And that's why we're going to continue to point it out. Because we're not going to sit down in that backseat of that vehicle and try to ignore it. Because ignoring it doesn't make it go away, dear. It's something that the white community has to accept. Is you know what? Black and brown people do not come for you. Black and brown people don't check for you. It's the other way around. Black and brown people go out into the world to exist. Go to restaurants, go to coffee shops, go to parks. Teach our children how to operate as entrepreneurs. Have barbecues. Go to our jobs. Go to our educational institutions. Go to hospitals. Get, you know, move about life. Every time that a black or a brown person is coming out and saying, I am upset about something that a white person or a white-led institution did. It's not because they came after the white-led group or the or the white person in particular. That's not what happened. We are speaking out against something that was done to us. So if you stop doing the shit that's negative to us, we're not going to talk about it. If it doesn't exist, we won't talk about it. But if you're still hearing us talk about it, it's real. Just because you didn't experience it doesn't make it real. As always, this has been Word of a Rebel. I am pretty sure that some of you guys were shocked. Some of you guys probably never thought about some of these things before. Um, I know some of these stories are probably going to, you know, open up some wounds for some people. But the thing is, if any of this made you feel uncomfortable, ask yourself why. Really examine the reasons why you felt that way. Talk it out with yourself. Why did this make you feel uncomfortable? All of it was true. All of this was based on reality. In fact, the example that I gave of the child sitting in the back seat peacefully reading a book and then being harassed by another child and how the adults handled it, that was a real experience that I had as a child. And I'm pretty sure there are other children who've had a similar experience. Everything in this, including the analogies, was real, authentic, lived experiences. So if something about this made you uncomfortable, ask yourself why you felt uncomfortable. Is it because you never heard of things like this before? Is it because you know somebody who did this? Is it because you did something that I mentioned today? For black and brown people out there, probably if you felt uncomfortable, it's probably because you've experienced something similar. Or when it came to the Hamitic myth, regardless of your skin color, some of you may not have ever heard of it before. And so that might have made you uncomfortable. So just all I ask is to ask yourself that. If you felt uncomfortable by anything that I said today, why did you feel uncomfortable? Examine that because the work that you can do today is the work inside of yourself and inside of your own household. Don't go out into the world and apologize to 
random people that you don't know. Okay? Um, that's not what we're asking you to do. Examine yourself and speak out against racism when you see it. Okay? If any of this sounded similar to anything that you've seen or heard or experienced, speak out on it. Have the courage. Don't tell the black or brown person to just ignore it. It's not going to go away and it hurts and it affects our lives. If you are a white person and you see a black or brown person getting victimized, you know, call it out. If the black or brown person is not present, but it's being discussed, or if the black or brown group is being discussed and things are being said in a negative way, even if it's that gentle way, like, well, that's just how they are, you know, or that's just a thing that they do, or isn't that something that black people do? When you hear these things, call it out. Tell the person to stop. Because that's how, that's what, that's what a white person can do. Stand up for the policy reform, right? Because I don't know if I mentioned it in this episode because we're going on 45 minutes now, but I did in the previous episode. I mentioned that, you know, over-aggressive policing also affects the white community. Like there are white people who get killed by police officers, right? So asking for policy reform is not hurting you, it's helping you just like it's helping black and brown people like you have to pay attention to this I I don't remember his name but there was a a white man he and his brother it was during a flood uh somewhere around Arkansas Tennessee or Kentucky in that area um it was two brothers they were um they were white men trying to get a truck out of water uh because the waters were rising and this particular um white man uh, that had an encounter with police had actually gone on record several times, social media conversations and all this, saying that um, black, he was opposing Black Lives Matter and he was supporting the police officers and saying, you know, police officers are good people, you know, you guys are blowing this out of proportion, blah, blah, blah. And he was very vocal in support of police officers. On this particular day, though, as he and his brother were trying to get their truck unstuck from the waters during this flood, the police were giving him an order in the middle of a rainstorm of trying to get him to come from somewhere on the vehicle and move. Now, the police officers were supposed to be protecting people during the flood, and they were supposed to be getting people out of harm's way. So tell me why that police officer drew his weapon and killed that white man. His support of police didn't protect him. His whiteness didn't protect him. That was an over-aggressive police officer who drew his weapon and killed him. So when we ask for police reform, if you imagine that as long as you're like cheering police on that they're not going to hurt you, no, if there's an over-aggressive police officer, they don't give a shit. You can die too. So think about it this way. If you don't want police reform, because if, if, if black and brown people telling you, hey, we're hurting, if that's not enough for you to ask for police reform, Think about the fact that you could also be a victim. Because it does happen. It very well does happen. Because the policing is not done appropriately. Now, now police abuse does affect black and brown communities more heavily because black and brown communities tend to be over-policed. So the reason why black and brown people more often have these negative exchanges per capita is simply because that's the communities that are over-policed. But don't think that you being white is going to protect you because you can get shot too. We need police reform. 
we need to abolish the police as they exist and redistribute the, the duties and responsibilities of law enforcement in a way that prevents death and mayhem and badness. When it comes to black and brown communities, um, I believe they, I believe they said in Camden, New Jersey is probably the best example of what police reform could look like, what defunding the police could look like. Because Camden, New Jersey completely overhauled their police system. They did end up hiring back a hundred of the officers that they got rid of, um, but they've never seen the same issue again because of the way policing was redistributed among different personnel and different entities. Um, and in Camden, um, the police officers host community events and they go door to door within the communities and they interact with people. They talk to people. They ask questions. They say, look, I'm here for you. I got you if you need something, right? It's not an afterthought. This is proactive policing, going into the community and being supportive and finding out how you can be of service. So Camden, New Jersey is definitely a spot to look into to see what it is that they're doing. Minneapolis is now considering doing the same thing. And I think that this is probably going to be something that's going to catch on and spread to more cities. I certainly hope that New Orleans does so. I certainly hope that Lafayette and Baton Rouge do so. Because I'm, from, I'm a Louisiana native and I want to see my state doing better. I sent out an email to the mayors of Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and New Orleans, as well as the governor of the state of Louisiana, in which I expressed these thoughts. When I mentioned policy reform, the Lafayette mayor was the first one whose office contacted me. The Lafayette mayor sent me back the very generic thing about we understand and appreciate your comments and we provide such and such police training and we're already doing the work. To which I said, very sharp and brief, you never mentioned anything about policy reform. And in my message, if you actually read my message, you would recognize that what I asked for was policy reform. And I was very clear and explicit. So your training, as I said in my initial message, is not enough. So I do want to see the example of Camden, New Jersey spread nationwide because it needs to happen. And in the midst of all of this, I'm going to get back to speaking about economic empowerment because my voice is getting tired. I'm at 50 minutes now. There are a bunch of voices out there who are saying the same things. Pay attention. There are plenty of voices out there saying the same things. I have written articles and poetry. I have posted videos and history lessons. I have spoken on this time and time and time again, and I probably will again, but I need my next episode to get back on this economic conversation because I'm here for economic empowerment of everyone I'm trying to showcase how black and brown people don't understand and recognize the opportunity that is available because we're so accustomed to being told no to being oppressed see racism the derivative of it one of the big derivatives of it is the programming of the mind see when I was in my elementary years and I mentioned in that article uh, another chapter of my mixed experience in that article I mentioned how I got quiet because I started to believe that the world wasn't going to support me, that nobody was going to care about my story. And that call was a spam call, so right back to the conversation at hand. So I was mentioning it because um, in my elementary years, when I approached my mother for support, um, when I was mistreated, 
the response that I got made me think the world wasn't going to be supportive. And I felt, you know, like, oh, the world's going to continue to think that I'm less than. The experience that I had with the pastor's wife, um, at that point, my reaction to it was actually to aggressively oppose it in the way that I lived because she was trying to force me into seeing myself as being deficient, right? But in, in the opposite side of it, I was like, no, forget this. I'm not deficient. What the hell are you talking about? You know, and I stood up for myself. Um, I want to point out that, that media messages are very important as well because part of the reason why I was able to stand up for myself and see myself as something worthwhile um, was because of the show A Different World. I was an avid watcher of um, A Different World and seeing these university um, environments in which, you know, black people were being respected and black people were empowered and voicing their opinions. And it exposed me to the names of certain people that in this community I had never been taught about, right? And so this exposed me and then I went to the libraries. Libraries are vitally important because it pushed me to go to libraries and look at books and look up information. And it taught and led me to seek out the answers for myself. Um, but for a lot of the time, though, that's not the reaction of a lot of people because it's 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 so generationally um, forced on people that some people will literally accept their status as not having opportunity and will believe the the mentality that you know by virtue of melanin that your credit is going to be affected. That's not true. By virtue of melanin that the banks are not going to approve your lending. Now, there was a time whenever those discriminatory practices were widely experienced, and I understand that, but there are black and brown people within these lending institutions that you can seek out. There's also, as a real estate agent, I know the laws, I know the rules, I know how to contact an attorney if you feel like you've been um, discriminated against. We ain't even got to go to court on it. We're just going to make sure that that person gets pointed out and outed and that you get the service that you need. I'm going to send you to a lender who's not going to treat you that way, though. And I'm going to be advocating for you as your real estate agent. And if you're somebody who wants to start up a small business, you know, there are there are plenty of lending opportunities out there. All it takes is access to, to information. You know, I know people within the New Orleans and Lafayette area and Baton Rouge area who can give you that access to resources and information. See, that's the power. The power lies in the access to information and resources. So, um, I know for a fact if you hit me up, I'm going to point you in the right direction. Um... If it's not something dealing with real estate, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass you on to somebody who knows the business idea or the investment idea that you got. I'm gonna pass you on to a lender that I know is gonna treat you well, whether it's business or real estate or whatever. There there are methods and opportunities out there to make things happen, to make things work. Um, if you're somebody, maybe you don't want to go through a bank, you would rather work with um, other people in the community to come together financially speaking to either start up a business, expand a business, purchase real estate, whatever the case may be, um, there's definitely opportunity for that as well. You know, I'm going to encourage people to do that, like working together, you know, if you know of a business that is operating and could benefit from a little bit of extra financial support, go ahead and draw up a contract. I've mentioned this before in a previous episode where I spoke about um, how to become a small scale investor for existing businesses. You draw up a contract where you ask the business, look, what is something that you guys need? Um, and how can I facilitate that? I believe that my app is going to want me to cut off before an hour. So guys, I'm going to go ahead and end this now. Come back for the next episode. 
uh, to hear more about this economic side of it, but definitely focus on what can you do if you're a white person to call out racism in your own self, in your own household, in your family, in your workplace, in your community. As a black or brown person, make sure that you are seeking out opportunity to collaborate and organize with other people. Seek out your power, use your power. Do not deny the power that is in you. This has been Word of Rebel. Be sure to hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and even on TikTok, at Word of Rebel. And come back for the next episode where I'll be back talking about economic opportunities. Peace.